Welcome to our Start Your Engines podcast. I'm Sheila from the To Love, Honor, and Vacuum blog, where we like to talk about how to make marriage into a passionate adventure and not just a giant to-do list. Plus, we talk about sex a lot, let's face it. <laughs> and um, because of that, a lot of guys listen in too. Guys like sex. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the last Thursday of every month, I like to do a guy's edition of our podcast. We call it Start Your Engines. I bring my husband, Keith, on to hey, talk everybody. as well. And today I have a question for us. Are men from Mars and women from Venus? Yeah, that's what I was talking about in the uh, blog post yesterday, right? Yes. Is, mm-hmm. is, are we really so different and, and how much do these differences matter? So we have a question that was sent in from a guy that I thought we could just use to kind of jumpstart this conversation. So Keith, you want to read it for us? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, here's, here's, how he, here's what he writes. As a man, I don't want to read a book about how to love my wife written by a man. If men could figure it out, I wouldn't need the book. All these marriage books written by men are helpful to understand myself, but are woefully inadequate when addressing my wife. I'm reading your book, Nine Thoughts, because I didn't realize it was written for wives, but I'm learning a ton anyway, except what I want to know, which is how to love my wife. What I've recognized is that I have been loving my wife like a guy would want to be loved, and surprisingly, it's not working. But it's taken me 18 years to figure out what I was doing wrong. Now I need help figuring out how to do it right, and I'm stumped. I love your perspective because it's so similar to my wife's, so I want you to write the book. But would take reading suggestions if you have any in the meantime. (laughs) Okay, well, first of all, I am glad that he liked Nine Thoughts That Can Change Your Marriage. (laughs) That is a very good book. I have a free Bible study that goes along with it, so any women who are listening, um, you can pick that up. And hey, I guess guys can read the book too, which is awesome. I actually liked it too. I thought it was good. Yeah, well, I mean, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I like all your writings. There you go. Okay, so, but what he's saying is, how do I love my wife the way she needs to be loved? And you actually had an interesting perspective on this when you were writing yesterday. So do you want to fill in a little bit about what you were talking about in the blog post? Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, the whole thing is, I think it's sort of a false thing when we we start talking about what, how to love a woman, how to love a man. I think that we kind of get off to not the best start necessarily when we do that, because you know, you, this reader does not actually want to know how to love women in general. Mm-hmm. I hope. Yes, yes. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I hope he wants to learn how to love this particular woman. Mm-hmm. And so, so you know, I think it's okay to talk in terms of gender differences because I do think that we are different. And I think understanding and appreciating that um, and seeing it as not that you're wrong for thinking this way, that a lot of women think the way that you think, mm-hmm. or that I, you know, a lot of men think the way I think. Having those kind of conversations is good. But when we start saying, well, you're a woman, so therefore you're going to want X, Y, Z, you know, that doesn't always work either, too. So you might find a great woman writing a great book about women, like, you know, your books. <laughs> but um, it still may not work for your particular wife, for your wife. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's... Part of the problem that we often run into is that when we're different, we assume the differences are because of gender, when really there's a lot of reasons that the two of you could have differences. Absolutely. I mean, you have different families of origin. You grew up in very different environments. Yeah, like we grew up. So you grew up, you were the oldest yes. of... Uh, so I had. I was in a house of four boys. Uh, mm-hmm. I was the oldest of four boys. It was. We were very rambunctious and it was very loud and chaotic household right whereas i was the only child of a single mother and so i i like to say that i used to play chess against myself and i often lost (laughs) yes but you know you had a stay-at-home mom so she did most of the housework yep 
you you even <laughs> that was one of the problems earlier in our marriage i was kind of housework blind because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i never had to pay attention to it before right so. whereas my mom wasn't home during the day and so we had this ritual every saturday morning we would clean the whole house or a whole apartment together and so i grew up doing chores mm-hmm. well we had chores too but it was just mm-hmm. different it was right? different and um i grew up i i lived in in downtown toronto Mm-hmm. You grew up in a I very... always lived in the country. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and city folk and country folk can be very different. Yes. have very different ways of looking at things. I didn't even know how to drive when we mm-hmm. got married. I yeah. think I got my license That's after we what were public transit is for. I know. In, in Toronto, <laughs> it's so expensive to park anywhere. Like, we didn't, our high school didn't even have driver's ed. Like, yeah. no, none of my friends knew how to drive hardly. Yeah, whereas, like, I had friends who lived 40 minutes away, like, by car. Like, mm-hmm. it's, we live in a sort of not centralized rural area. So. Yeah. And I didn't have siblings, and you did, so I mean that makes a big difference. Yep. Um, we and and then we just had very different personalities. Yep. Um, I. Although you and I are more similar than a lot of couples. That's true. But yeah, but we definitely have our differences. And 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 I think what happens often is that we attribute all these differences to male female when really a lot of them are. Yeah, just different personalities, different families of origin, different expectations on how you manage money or how you manage work or how you manage kids. And it's not always gender. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I I think that the big thing is communication. And, you know, we can talk about what women tend to like. And I mean, like, for instance, I'll I'll give you an example. Um, We do know that in general, women tend to be the more talkative in a relationship. Yes. Women want to have more, use more words. Women want to have conversations more. Men tend to be quieter in mm-hmm. general. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of families where she's the quieter one and he's the talkative one. I mean, that's, that's those people aren't mm-hmm. wrong for being mm-hmm. that way. And, and that's the thing I get into trouble with talking about gender differences is because these things are not a yes, no thing. They're a spectrum. Right. And so and so there are going to be women who are at the quieter end of the spectrum. And there's going to be guys who are at the talkative end of the spectrum. And and when you start talking about how, oh, women talk your ear off all the time and guys never want to hear that, then, you know, if you're in the other situation, you start to feel like, well, what's wrong with me? Some, I'm, I'm, I'm defective or, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, mm-hmm. and it's, it, that's not a good way to feel. And it's also not true because there's ver- variation in both of us. Yeah, I know that. Uh, and you shared the story in the post yesterday, I think, but there there was one time we were at a marriage conference. We, we'd yeah. spoken at a marriage conference and a woman came up to yeah. us afterwards and she was so grateful yeah. because we said something which I think is quite basic. Yep. But nobody had ever given her permission for this before. But we stated from the front that not all men have the higher sex drive. Yeah. That sometimes in a marriage, and I think I think in our studies we found it's it's around twenty five percent in the big survey that we just took. You know, the woman has the higher sex drive, and then in a significant number of marriages, their sex drives are basically the same. And then in about fifty five to sixty percent, he has the higher one. But it's not like a hundred percent. The yeah. way that we talk about it, it sounds like it's a hundred percent of marriages. He has this roaring to go all the time drop of a hat sex drive and she never wants it yeah and, and i think that's the problem is when we talk exclusively in terms of gender and we're not careful about the language we use because you know to say that men tend to be a certain way and women tend to be a certain way is fair is all fair mm-hmm. but there's a difference between men tend to be a certain way and all men are 
Mm-hmm. And especially when it's a, like, a comparison thing. Like men tend to like sports more than women. Right. right? So then therefore, if, if there's a woman who likes sports more than her husband, there's something wrong there. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and you, you, we just don't want to have that kind of mentality. Yeah, and then there's my sister-in-law, our sister-in-law, yeah, Carrie, exactly. who, will, who will paint her face blue and white for, yeah. what is it, St. Louis? Oh, she's a blues fan. Yeah, yeah St. Louis yeah. blues. Yeah. And, um, and she goes to hockey games with, with our father, well, your father. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah she's way more into sports than I am. Yeah, and right? even than her husband, maybe a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he might, he might not, yeah. Have, yeah. But anyway, but, the, the, point, <laughs> the point is that, that we're, you know, we're, we're individuals, mm-hmm. and, and we're going to vary. And if we sort of have this mentality that, this is the like if if men are slightly different than women on average in a certain trait mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that you have to have that trait if you're a man and you can't have that your that trait if you're a woman or or vice versa right and it also doesn't mean that just because more men tend to be like that that doesn't mean that god made men that way because i think that's another layer that often gets put on this mm-hmm. or or that you know that that if you're not like that as a man and something is defective about you and mm-hmm. God doesn't love you. Right. Like I was talking, I was, I was on a podcast recently with a guy who was saying one of his favorite books growing up was wild at heart. He loved the book wild mm-hmm. at heart and he just felt like it encapsulated who he was so well. But then he was talking to some friends and they hated the book because they didn't feel like that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, it was very much, you know, men like, hunting and going out and conquering and he they a lot of guys just aren't yeah. like that and so yeah. then they start feeling like i'm not a real man yeah and 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 when we start looking at you know did god ordain that men must be this way then we can start getting into some kind of weird stuff mm-hmm. which i think is is where the church goes a little bit bonkers um I just finished a survey of 22,000 people for our new book, The Great Sex Rescue, which will be out next year. We just finished the manuscript, thank goodness. Um, but when we were reading it, we were reviewing a lot of a lot of books. And one book that we read sort of as a control, so we decided to read the best-selling secular marriage book, and then we read all the best-selling Christian marriage books too. And we read John Gottman's Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, which is actually an amazing book. Yeah, it's, it's very, really good. very well done. And you may remember this better. So I'm going to start this, but if I, you just jump in if I'm doing this wrong. Okay? Oh, this is the thing I said to you about the difference, gender differences, and what Gottman said. Yeah, because I and thought actually, this was fast. Okay, just jump in now. Yeah, I mean, the issue is <laughs> that in the church, we talk about how men and women are different, you know, and God made us different. And, and so far, so good. Mm-hmm. But then it's, so therefore, you're. If you're more like a man and you're more like a woman, mm-hmm. then you'll be better off together. Like, like it's, right. it's not about just being a good person, not trying to be Christ-like. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about being a godly wife. Right. We talk about being a godly husband mm-hmm. rather than just about being godly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And, and we focus so much on the wife and husband part of it. And we focus so much on the, ge- the genderized part of it that mm-hmm. we're trying to be more like this. And like when men and women do things in relationships that are not helpful mm-hmm. like the four horsemen stonewalling and, and all those yes, kind of he things calls it, he calls it the four horsemen of the apocalypse oh, so yeah. the, four, the four behaviors that totally wreck a marriage and, and one of the main ones he talks about is stonewalling so you're trying to have a discussion yeah. and and he, he says this is often more of a male thing it's yeah, not that women but, don't do it but you start putting walls up and you refuse to engage you refuse to talk about it 
Yeah, and so these so there are differences in us. And sometimes when we get defensive or get our, you know, get put up back on our heels, we're we're a little upset, we start to revert to these beha- patterns of behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's you know, gender differences are there, but they're not always a good thing. And and yeah. we and we make mm-hmm. it we make it sound like oh, men are, you know, strong and quiet and they don't let their feelings show and you know, and and so therefore when they get into into conflict, they mm-hmm clam up and they won't talk about things uh, and we almost make that sound like it's a good thing but we right. know it's not a good thing right and and so what Godman is saying is actually if you want to build a healthy marriage focus on um acting emotionally healthy and becoming more similar rather than becoming more different because in those areas of conflict we often revert to some stereotypical gendered behaviors mm-hmm. which actually makes things worse yeah. So it's like it's like when we get super gendered, that doesn't mean that things go better. Yeah, because because if you think about it, the goal of, and then we're Christians. The goal of the Christian is to try and become more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I remember when we when we got married, the the minister said to us, you know, it's like spokes on a bicycle wheel. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. That's the concept we always talk about. You know, so if, if instead of focusing on getting more and more Christ-like and acting more like Jesus to each other. You're focusing more and more on these very specific roles that make you very different from each other. So your goal is to be as different as possible. Mm-hmm. How does that draw you closer together? It's just, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And especially because so many people don't fit those gender yeah. differences. And, yeah. you know, that, just as an aside, that's one of the things we found in the focus groups uh, for our study is that women, when they let go of gendered expectations of what sex was supposed to be like, so you know, let go of that idea that they weren't supposed to have a libido or let go of the Mm -hmm. idea that he needed to initiate or let go of some of these gendered things that we believe everything got a lot better. I think I speak for a lot of guys out there. We don't have a problem with the initiation thing if there's any ladies listening to this. So, So, yeah. And so, okay, so to get back, that was was sort of like a long detour around to the issue of what this guy is asking, which is how do you love your wife? And yeah. Um, I think what I would say if I were asked that question is you got to know your wife. And I think instead of focusing so much on on like the gendered aspect of it, I would ask, how can we learn about each other's personalities? Um, How can we learn what each other's emotional needs are Mm -hmm. and and work on those kinds of things and have those conversations? Because quite often we think the problem is gender when it might just be that you grew up with four boys. And so you're used to talking Mm -hmm. all the time and you're used to sharing and figuring stuff out. And I grew up where I only had to worry about myself. And so having to worry about you was a pain. Like it's not (laughs) necessarily a gendered thing. It could just be your background. right? And that, that what you just said is kind of the opposite of the standard stereotypical gender thing yeah. <laughs> I mean I think the big thing is I would just say just ask your wife mm-hmm. so you know sweetheart like what is the way that you feel the most loved you know mm-hmm. how can I show love to you the absolute best way and if you don't know the answer to that we have a um, we have some resources that can help you figure that out so we have an emotional need survey that you can take um, you do it you can do it separately do it together whatever it is um, it's an exercise you can download it for free off of my website and then you can talk about ways that you can help meet each other's emotional needs because we all do have different things that feel uh, like oxygen to us 
that feel like this is what I need to feel alive. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's actually alone time. You know, I need I need some rejuvenation. For some people, it's I need to feel like we're a team in parenting. I need I need you to totally be there with me for others. It's I need us to do a lot of stuff together, like whatever it might be. Um, figure out what your emotional needs are and and we'll put a link to that exercise in the podcast description so that's good and another one I think it I found it really useful to know personality differences yep um you know what uh, here's another big stereotype we tend to believe that men are thinkers and women are feelers (laughs) yeah that that men are the ones who think logically and make decisions based on logic, whereas women make decisions based on emotions. And that's actually not true. There are more feelers than thinkers in in the population, but an awful lot of thinkers are women and an awful lot of feelers are men. In our, yeah. in our relationship, I'm the thinker and you're the feeler. Yeah, now it's not that I'm not logical. I mean, I'm very logical. I work mm-hmm. problems out very easily. But I think that, you know, it weighs on me a lot more heavily when you have to make a decision and you know it's going to impact somebody, yeah, like to me that weighs heavily on me. Whereas yeah. you're you're very much more like the no, it's got to be done. Like just get it over <laughs> with. It's like pull the bandaid off, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, but yeah. it's going to hurt that person to pull mm-hmm. the bandaid off. Them. Like, you know, and just, yeah. So I think learning it's not a good bad thing. Yeah, learning personality differences, and we did a whole um, series on that uh, a couple of years ago. I will put a link to that series. It's a really fun one. Um, can help you figure out all the different aspects of your personality and where you guys might be different as well. So I think that's what I would I would suggest is, you know, gender differences are real. Absolutely. But they're only part of the story of mm-hmm. how we're different. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get so caught up in gender differences that we lose that bigger picture. And like you said, the goal is to look like Jesus. It isn't to look like the perfect man or the perfect woman. It's to look like Jesus. So let's let's work together at that. Sounds great. Now, along with that, I, I, I have another thing that I just want to bring up that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. What's that? That I discovered when we did our big study. Okay. <laughs> Why so, am I afraid? <laughs> yes, I'm very afraid. So we, we subjected ourselves to reading um, all of the best like the, the best-selling Christian um, sex and marriage books over the last 15 years. And some of them were awesome. Gift mm-hmm. of Sex by the Penners, really, really great. Um, Boundaries in Marriage, really great. Sacred Marriage, really great. Like lots, there, there were quite a few good books there. Um, but one thing that I found really interesting is that some of the books that have advice for both men and women give very different advice to oh, the men yes. and the women. And sometimes the men's advice is actually not too bad, but the women's advice is terrible. Yeah, well, that's because a lot of the time it's written by men. Yeah. And so like <laughs> a guy can read this book and think this is an amazing book. And then his wife reads it and think this is a terrible book. And the guy thinks, what is wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. You know, or Cause I... clearly it's right. It's written down somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, uh, well, we, we, we created this rubric, for instance, on, on looking at books from 12 different measures of, of uh, female sexuality and on healthy teachings about female sexuality. And we looked at the book, Every Man's Battle. And if I just looked at the advice for men, it scored a whole lot higher than if I looked at the advice for women, because there is advice for women at the end of each chapter. Yeah. And what they said to women was highly problematic. What they said to men was still problematic, but what they said to women was highly problematic. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I think sometimes in church, we're having very different conversations Mm -hmm. among genders because, you know, in women's groups, we tend to study certain books and in men's groups, we tend to study certain books and we don't always understand what is being taught to the other gender. 
And especially when it comes to sex, let me tell you guys, okay? And and I know it's still a year before this book comes out, but let me tell you, a lot of your wives are being taught really, really crappy stuff that you would totally disagree with and that you would wish she, she didn't, she wasn't learning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think that's a really important conversation to have because just as an example, a lot of women are being taught that you don't have a right to refuse sex. Like you yeah, are for any reason, right? You are obligated yeah. to give him sex. Do not deprive him. And while that may sound good to some guys, let me tell you why that's not good. No guy, at least very, very few guys wants duty sex, right? Like guys don't want to be placated. Yeah. Guys want to be wanted. Yeah. Well, and also too, like, I mean, I don't want my wife to be in a situation where she feels she has no choice. I mean, who wants that? Yeah. And, and most guys really want sex to be something which she enjoys. Like that's part of the big pleasure for yeah. him. At least I hope if you're a healthy guy, if, you, if that is not your big thing, <laughs> yeah. seriously. And, and the, it's really difficult to enjoy something when you feel like it's something that you have to do. Exactly. And so there are so many better ways to talk to her about this. And um, what so many women told us in the focus groups is that when their husbands gave them permission, mm-hmm. you know, to, to say no or to, to only do what they wanted to do, it's like their sex lives changed. And so this is where I think in church, we need to have much more discussions about what is healthy advice for both couples as opposed to teaching women only one thing and men only one thing because quite often we don't understand what the other person's being told and that can lead to a lot of problems. And we also don't understand the impact that what we say has on them because they, you know, they see it very differently than us. Mm-hmm. Like I might say something that to that another guy, like you know, I'll take a totally different example is like the whole idea of sarcasm. Right. right. And again, right. this is this is a little gendered because, again, not every woman's like this and not every man is like this. But generally, guys, you know, sarcasm is is camaraderie. Like mm-hmm. for guys, it's like that's who we are. We, we rib each other and we like that. And if for the most part, women find that kind of talk hurtful, um, you know, so it's so it's very different when you talk like that. So, you know, when I talk to my brother Mm-hmm. I address them very differently than when I talk to you. And I had to learn that when I said something that I thought was funny and cute, you were not finding it funny or cute. <laughs> yeah, and, <for laughs> and that the, was okay. For the first few years that we were married, I thought that you and your brothers hated each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. because, because of the ways you talked together. Yeah, yeah. And it took me a while to realize that, no, you actually liked each other. So, yeah, so, yeah. so what I say to one person that is seen as a positive thing Another person may hear the exact same thing and they may interpret it differently. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to be careful about that. And we, need, we as men need to think about what we're saying and what effect it's having on our wives. Right. Because I don't think that most guys would say to their wife, hey, I don't care if you don't want to. I don't care if you are tired, sore, postpartum, whatever. I want it and you're going to give it to me. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. most guys think that that's the message they're giving their wives, but I think a lot of women feel like that's the message they're getting. Yeah, that is the message that they're getting in church. And when the husband doesn't actually say the opposite, Mm -hmm. then that is what she hears. And so that's why it's so important, guys, okay, so do that emotional needs thing so that you, you understand um, what you each need to feel loved, figure out your personality differences. And then when when both of you see an issue very differently, when one of you loves a book, the other one doesn't like the book, when one of you loved a sermon, the other one didn't love a sermon, 
don't assume the other person is wrong, but ask them to explain it. Mm-hmm. Because it could be that you are hearing things very differently because quite often we are taught very different things in the church based on whether we're women or men. And that can really mess us up too. So that, that would be my, I hope that that helps that guy, (laughs) but that would be my thought. I want to tackle a couple of reader questions now, and I'm going to tackle the first one myself before I bring Keith back onto the podcast. But here is a woman who has a question about foreplay. And even though it's a woman asking the question, I love talking about foreplay in the men's podcasts because I think it's important. So here she is. She says, "Uh, we've been married for three years and we're both Christians and pretty shy on the topic of sex. When I first read your book, The Good Girl's Guide to Great Sex, it really helped me in our marriage a lot. So thank you. I was stuck in the mindset that I had to be perfect for everything to be right. Recently, my husband asked me a question that really stumped me. He said, what is foreplay? I struggle with most of the time not getting anything out of it because it's rushed, but I try to enjoy it since it makes my husband happy. And I was wondering if you had any advice. So guys, I hate the term foreplay. I really wish we could get a new word for it because foreplay insinuates that it's something extra that comes before the main event. All right. So the main event is intercourse and foreplay is what comes before. And when we see it like that, then we get into dynamics like this woman says where she struggles to get the most out of it because it's so rushed. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I know that a lot of you aren't actually the ones rushing it. A lot of times it's us women who are rushing it because we've heard such negative things taught to us about sex our whole lives, about how he needs intercourse, we need to give him intercourse, and we think there's something wrong with us if we don't get aroused the same way you guys do because we're taught that like men's experience of sex is the norm and there's something wrong with women. And so let me just tell you, In our surveys that we took of 20,000 women, we found that of the women who could orgasm, okay, so of the women who could reach orgasm, and remember that about 15% of women can't ever at all anyway, so only looking at those ones, only about 38% of women reach orgasm through intercourse alone. Everybody else needs at least some other stimulation. And some women don't reach orgasm ever through intercourse. Probably, you know, about half of the other ones really can only reach orgasm through either manual stimulation or through oral stimulation. So oral sex or um, just rubbing her in different places. Okay. (laughs) So if that's the case for so many women that they just don't reach orgasm through intercourse, then when we rush through, it means that she's often not having that much fun. And we women can think, well, there's something wrong with me, but there's actually not. Like this is almost universal. When you look at surveys, certainly our survey found this, but so is many others, is that a lot of women just don't get enough stimulation through intercourse. Now, This summer, I'm actually going to be working on a course on orgasm, on helping women reach orgasm in the first place, but also helping them reach orgasm while you're having intercourse too. So hopefully that will help reach breakthrough for some women. But I just want to remind you that this is actually quite normal. So here's what I want to challenge guys. Okay. And this is why I really wanted to do it in the Start Your Engines podcast. As much as possible, 
try to have her reach orgasm before you actually have intercourse. Okay. Like, like women first, okay, that should be your, your motto women first and men last. All right. She comes first, however you want to say it, have her reach orgasm first. And that way it doesn't seem like you're rushing through it because it's like, this is the main event for her. And for a lot of women, it does take a good 20 minutes. So, you know, flicking this and rubbing this and twisting this for three minutes and then rushing forward to intercourse isn't going to do anything for her. So as much as you can, just become a real student of your wife's body. My book, 31 Days to Great Sex, coming out in two months. It's already talked about, you know, that that can really help you work through a lot of this and try some new things. But have that mindset switch, because I think if we had that mindset switch, women wouldn't rush you so much. So what is foreplay? It starts with kissing. Don't go, don't go for the clitoris right off the bat. Okay, please don't, please don't. <laughs> don't go for it until she's actually wanting you to touch her there because women, it can actually feel uncomfortable if you go for like the nipple area or the clitoris when she's not aroused yet. So kiss her, touch her hair, touch her ears, touch her neck. Um, rubber arms, like do all of that first and then let your hands wander in other places and kind of tease her a little bit, like rub around the main places before you get to the main places. And then when you do start touching, you know, if, if things just aren't feeling very good for her, ask her to guide your hand, ask her to show you what kind of pressure she wants, you know, even tell her to, to use your fingers as if they were her fingers and figure out what works for her. But have that mindset switch where it's not for play, where it's something that we do before intercourse, but rather this is the main event where she is getting served first. And if she learns to be really orgasmic during that, it's often easier to then get orgasmic during intercourse as well. All right, let's bring Keith back on for another question. So this one came in from a woman, but I thought that it would, that it fit our Start Your Engines podcast because I think a lot of guys might be dealing with this. Okay. So here I, we I go. Hope <laughs> I hope not. All right. So a woman is writing in and this is all COVID. Here yep. we go. So she says, um, I was wondering what tips you might have for couples and sex during this pandemic. Obviously our kids are at home all the time. So there's not a lot of alone time to connect and they have two teenagers um, her husband, she says, my husband and I have played some board games together because I know those are things that help him connect with me. Our, and our communication is good. It's just really hard for me to focus on sex. My mind is in a hundred places, even though I'm not an essential worker dealing with stress, as many are. And we also are not kissing, mostly just out of fear. I still go to the grocery store for us and I would hate to bring something home to him. I take all the necessary precautions. I wear a mask going to the store. I wear gloves. And I go when the store is open so there's fewer people there. I don't want our sex life to diminish, but it's just so hard for me to be into it right now. All right. So, guys, here's a little insight into women. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. So when women have a lot on our minds, it is really difficult to relax during sex. And, and we need to be able to relax and concentrate on sex for sex to feel good. So when we have a million things in our minds, we actually can't feel sexy. Okay. This is a gender difference in the way that a lot of guys relate to sex because guys physically can, they can find that, Hey, sex helps me not think about all those things. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. Um, now obviously when stress levels get too high, that doesn't work. But for women, when we have a million things going on in our heads, in our heads, sex doesn't work. So here's this woman with a million things going on in her head and she's just finding it really hard to relax. So first of all, I just want to say 
that COVID, from what I read in the news, is likely going to be going on for a long time still. We're going to be dealing with this to some extent for months and months Months and and months. months. If it was only a three-week thing, then I think saying, okay, you know what? Joining just, a monastery yeah, we're is reasonable. Yeah, we're not going to kiss or touch and we're going to maintain social distancing because it's only through, okay, I can see that. But we don't know how long this is going to be, but we do know it's going to be a long time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think we need to start thinking in those terms. Yeah. Uh, well, and, and I don't think that there's any place where the social distancing rules apply to your household context, unless, unless you're sick. Yeah, or, or you've, you've been, been traveling or something like. Or you've been exposed. You know, like for instance, and... for me, like if I actually have to go to see patients, then I, I kind of take we take care of that and we we deal with that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but um, but if you're if you're not a frontline worker, I don't think that the expectation is you're going to socially isolate from your family household contacts. Yeah, and even if you are a frontline worker, unless you've been exposed or you test positive, like we had, we we put up that Good Friday post by. Um, Rajdeep Paulus, whose whose husband is uh, an emergency doc in New yeah. York City, and they're still kissing. That was that was a sweet post. It was really good. Was really yeah, good and I just want to say a big shout out to all the frontline workers, and yeah. even not just not just doctors and nurses, but even grocery store workers. Yep, there's a lot um, of people out there. You know, the mail, the the postal workers, like the people who are doing all that. Like yep. we really do appreciate that, and so. <laughs> You know, she's still kissing her husband because they've realized they need that contact. And mm-hmm. I know some people are a lot more worried about disease than others. Yeah, and you, you don't know everyone's situation in terms of age, mm-hmm. their vulnerabilities, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you don't want to make blanket statements. No. But, but at the same time, you have to put things in perspective. Yeah, and you know, God, there, there's always been diseases. It's funny, mm-hmm. we're the only generation that has ever had an expectation that we could live without communicable diseases, <laughs> right? Like, you know, a hundred years ago, like my grandmother had a sister who died of diphtheria Yeah. Um, in a diphtheria outbreak. Think of all the people that died of Spanish flu. Um, you know, this was normal. And so I think that there has to be at least some back and forth of let's think about this realistically and how are we going to manage this when it's going to be a months and months and months long thing. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, you know what? There's going to be risks. But how big are those risks, really? <laughs> yeah, so think, taking things in perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And some people are living in areas where there's huge outbreaks. Yep. We are not. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and most places right now are not. Some places, yes, but most places are not. And so you need, you need to look at, you know, if, do I really want to not kiss my spouse? And do I really want to let this cause me this much worry? in the next couple of months and i would just say to this woman i think i think that you need to take some deep breaths and realize you can't control everything in your life and i know that's difficult but you can't and we are going to need to learn to live with some risk and don't cut yourself off from your family because you need them and they need you Mm -hmm. um are there other things going on like i mean have we talked i mean a lot of us are having a hard time dealing with this COVID, right mm -hmm. like a lot of people are under a lot of stress and they just they just feel this kind of angst overall right mm-hmm. and and you know and a lot of people are just not talking about it and i think it's okay to say like look i'm worried i like and get those fears out there and talk about what the things yeah. are that are really bothering me maybe maybe what's really on her mind is just that she hasn't had a chance to just blah you know vent all that and <laughs> talk about all these things and get that some of that out of, off her chest and mm-hmm. you know i think it's i think maybe having those kind of times to communicate and 
yeah. open up those kind of yeah. conversations would be useful as well. Okay, so but so that's great advice for the person who's really worried. But what if you're married to someone who's yeah, really worried? That's a tough one too. I... And because I don't know, I don't get the impression. Well, it's hard to tell from this letter if her husband is also worried or yeah, you if don't know both... if he's if he feels the same way or if he's even feels more strongly or if he's really yeah. missing this but or... i think that there are a lot of couples where one of them won't touch and won't kiss out of fear and the other one yeah. isn't happy with that yeah. i get the impression that he still wants to have sex because they are she is saying i'm too scared to have sex but obviously okay. he you know he is not yeah. so <laughs> yeah. you know how do, how do you manage that conversation yeah i mean it's tough eh? i mean this is how do you give advice about in a situation that's never ever happened before in the yeah. world, right? <laughs> so you know, I mean, I think you have to. I I I think the issue is always communication. It's just sitting down and saying, you know, what are my expectations here? What are your expectations here? What you know, what's important to me? What's important to you? How do we balance those things? Mm-hmm. Let's take all the data into account as best as we understand it, you know, and just just really listen to each other and hear what each other thinks mm-hmm. and feels about it and make good decisions that work for us as a couple. Yeah, I think one thing that often helps, at least me, when I need to put things into perspective is to ask, hey, what what are we scared of? Like, what is the worst case scenario? And then say, how likely is it that that is going to happen? Mm-hmm. You know, so what's the worst case scenario, but what is the most likely case scenario as well? And the worst case scenario in this case is yeah. actually quite low, <laughs> yeah. the likelihood of it happening. Well, that's actually a really good, that's a very well documented anti-anxiety technique mm-hmm. what you're describing so what is so and and have that conversation what is it that we're really scared of how likely is it that that's actually going to happen mm-hmm. and if we change our lives to such an extent that that doesn't happen then what are we giving up yeah that's right and are we really willing to give that up mm-hmm. you know and ultimately yeah it just comes down to can you live without being in control which is essentially a faith problem and that's a hard question for a lot of us to have is a lot of us don't like being out of control and we are out of control right now. Um, yeah. yeah. So hopefully this will just bring you together. I, I, I can tell you that um, when Keith and I went through the worst thing in our lives, mm-hmm. when our when our son was born with a heart defect and he eventually passed away and we were dealing with a lot of what ifs for a long time when we yeah. didn't know what was going to happen. We were we didn't know. Um, we were so scared of having to make a decision about surgery, um, all kinds of things we were scared of. And in the end, that brought us closer. And so hard times don't need to mean that your marriage gets further apart. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's these hard things that bring us together. Yeah. And so I hope that the couple can can focus on that and find a way to come together instead of... Letting it drive them apart. And not kissing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So thank you for joining us on our Start Your Engines podcast for this last podcast in May and join us again in June. In just two months, my book 31 Days to Great Sex is being released by Zondervan. I used to sell that myself, but I created a whole revamped version with lots more um, challenges and with some extras, lots of extras. And that is such a fun book to help communication and to help your sex life thrive. So that will be available in just two months. And I just encourage you to rate this podcast subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss any and thank you for showing up at the to love honor and vacuum blog uh, i will put in the podcast description um links to some of the things we talked about here including that wonderful good friday post about the the er doctor that was such a great 
a story that Raj told and our emotional needs inventory. Please take that. Um, our personality differences posts. And I think all of those will just help us talk about these differences in a way that is really healthy. And that's what we try to do to love, honor, and vacuum is find healthy ways to talk about marriage so that you can grow together. So we will be back for another Start Your Engines at the end of June. And join us on the blog in June, guys. I just want to do a real plug for this. If you want to unlock the true libido problem in your marriage, I can almost guarantee that emotional labor and mental load play a huge role in that. And in June on the blog, we are going to be talking about solutions to the emotional labor and mental load problem that many women carry and how that can be worked out so that her libido can skyrocket. So join us on the blog. We'll talk about that again in the next Start Your Engines podcast, but don't miss it because that really is the key to a lot of happy marriages. Bye-bye for now. 